Welcome to the Sporty Dietitian Podcast, a show that helps you simplify your nutrition and amplify your activity. I'm your host, Sarah, a board-certified sports dietitian, personal trainer, and expert in sports nutrition. In today's episode, I'm going to debunk three huge performance nutrition myths. You don't want to miss this. Let's get into it. First performance nutrition myth that we're going to debunk is exercising fasted yields better results. So let's first talk about some reasons why you may be exercising fasted. One, it's because you're trying to lose weight. Two, it's because you're trying to decrease your fat mass or enhance your fat loss. And then lastly, because Karen down the street told you that you should. So when you're fasting, we're talking about abstinence from food or drink. You're not taking in any form of nutrition, um, whether that be from food or whether that be from a beverage. And that's over X amount of time, depending on the type of fasting style that you're utilizing. So let's kind of talk about what we know and what we don't know. With the population that I see, I always recommend eating before exercising. And the reason for that is because we know that certain types of fuel at certain times can enhance your performance. What we don't know is if certain fasting mechanisms of certain time periods do make a difference in your sports performance in terms of having a positive influence. So one thing that we know is the type and the duration and the intensity of exercise do matter in terms of reaping a benefit from fasting. For example, if you are going to exercise for two hours, it would not make sense for you to fast because you would deplete your energy stores very, very quickly. And that's one of the purposes of eating before you exercise is to top off what's called your muscle glycogen stores. So that's your stored form of carbohydrates in your muscle. It's what your um, body pulls fuel from while you're exercising. Once that's depleted, then we go into different mechanisms of generating fuel for your exercise, which taps into fat and, and things like that. The other thing that we know is large amounts of fasting or not eating for a very long time does harm performance. In fact, it can actually create some negative outcomes um, in terms of your health during an event or during an exercise session that's really intense and you didn't have anything to eat. The other thing that we know is that fasted workouts increase the use of fat for energy or what's called fat oxidation. So that's where the fat loss during fasted exercise mechanism comes from because yes if you don't have your muscle glycogen stores topped off your body will divert from pulling from your fat stores 
That just means that your fat stores are being recycled and utilized for generation of ATP or energy. That does not mean that you are directly decreasing your fat loss significantly versus if you were pulling from your carbohydrate stores or your sugar stores and things like that. So that's an important thing to differentiate just because you are working in an exercise state of using fat for fuel, it does not mean that you are decreasing your total fat um, or your body fat percentage. The other piece that I always hit on when educating about this is that the quality of your workout actually may decrease. So you may work less, you may expend less calories, and you may break down your muscles less. All of those things are needed to create proper training adaptations and lead to better athletic performance. So if you typically perform better when you've eaten before a workout or before an activity or before a competition, you're probably going to reap more training benefits and probably burn some more calories in the process. Um, So that's a, a very, very important piece to keep in mind as well. And that could be a negative, right? If your goal is to um, you know, become a better athlete or burn more calories in your workout or build muscle, the harder you work and if your nutrition and your fluid is adequately replenished as well, then the better outcomes you're probably going to achieve. There's two things that I want to hit on that we do know and that I think are important and often forgotten about. And one is that if you're active and you need calories, encouraging fasting may actually encourage someone to eat less and therefore may not meet their caloric requirements. That is important for many reasons. One, if you are in a weight class sport or you are in a certain position on your team where you have to maintain a certain weight or um, if you have goals to put on muscle or put on mass overall, you need enough calories and active people need calories. Um, I can't stress that enough. And if you are restricting the amount of time that you have in a day to take in your calories, that can also affect your body composition and your performance as well. The other piece of that too is that we actually see a lot of benefit in spacing your food intake throughout the day, specifically when it comes to body composition and athletic performance. So um, if you have high protein requirements because you are a tall, muscular person that weighs you know, more than the average person, which is fine. (laughs) That happens when you're taller and when you have more lean mass. We want to make sure that you're getting proper nutrition spaced throughout the day. For example, protein, we know that we can only absorb so much at certain sittings. So if you're an athlete that needs 200 grams of protein and you're only eating three times a day, you're probably not actually absorbing and utilizing that protein to the fullest extent. Right now, we're capping out our protein absorption per meal at around 40 grams. I typically like to recommend closer to 20 to 30 grams per meal or snack. 
Um, but I do understand the limitations, especially of an athlete in high school or in college having classes, even as an adult, if you're active, you know, being in meetings. And it's, it's not always possible to eat eight times a day. But just know that you can reap many benefits body composition wise and performance wise by spacing your food throughout the day. And if you take away a whole meal or a whole snack, that may get in the way for sure, especially if you do that repeatedly over time. The second piece that I wanted to hit on that goes hand in hand with that is encouraging fasting can put someone at risk for development of disordered eating. If you're giving general advice to someone and you're telling them to fast before exercise to reap XYZ benefit and you don't know their clinical picture and they already have an eating disorder, you're actually feeding their eating disorder and that's not okay. So I would refrain from generally recommending that to someone unless you know their clinical picture. We also know that fasted exercise does not cause more fat loss than fed exercise when total work and calories are equated. Really, when we're talking about fat loss, we're talking about calories in versus calories out. Calories out are gonna be how much you expended in your activity um, or in your general movement throughout the day. If you are working out for an hour, but you are only burning 50 calories in that hour, that's probably unrealistic, but hey, maybe you were really tired because you fasted before your workout. And say you were fed and you burned 500 calories within an hour, that's significantly gonna impact your body composition, especially over time. The more calories that you expend, the more you put yourself in a little bit of a negative energy balance, then your body weight and your body fat will change from that. And the last piece of this, what we do know is you know your body best. If you perform well fasted and you are healthy, Lab value-wise, physiologically, you feel that you have the energy you need to perform in a quality workout, then exercise fasted. But if you know that you get fatigued and lightheaded and you've had you know, exercise sessions or competitions where you've passed out and you didn't eat or drink anything beforehand, you need to have fed exercise no question about it. So understand how your body responds best and act on that rather than listening to what Karen down the street tells you. Really the only thing and the big thing that we don't know is what amount of fasting is too much. There is research looking into this. There have been studies that have found that 12 hours of fasting before exercise created negative um, effects in your performance, whereas 16 hours of fasting led to similar results or positive benefits in exercise sessions. What those positive benefits are, I'm not sure, but I just know that there's research being done into that. And again, you know your body best just because there's been a research article over it that said these handful of athletes perform better when they were fasted. That doesn't mean that's going to translate into you. So understand that difference and make the best decision for yourself. All right, the second huge performance nutrition myth is that being leaner or weighing less equals better performance. I have such a problem with this topic to the extent that I could probably have a TED Talk over it. This is such outdated information. If you are a coach or a an athlete or someone who goes to the gym and you are commenting on someone's weight and saying that they need to be leaner or they need to weigh less and they'll have 
you know, better performance outcomes, please stop. You have no idea how the person on the other end of that conversation is going to take that piece of information. And I have seen like patient cases and client cases where they have been told that. And because athletes and active people oftentimes are type A and very high achievers and have high expectations for themselves and other people like their coaches and family have high expectations for themselves, they run with that statement. And all they hear is that they need to be smaller and there's no threshold at where smaller stops. So it can severely spiral in someone's mind very quickly even with a simple statement that you feel like did no harm. The other thing that we need to touch on is being lean and weighing less are two completely different things. If you are lean, you can be lean and be at a BMI of 28, which is considered overweight. Being lean means you have a lot of lean mass compared to your fat mass. If you are someone who strength trains, eats enough to to have, you know, adequate muscle mass, prioritizes protein and other nutrients, of course, as well. You can be lean and weigh more than other people like you. However, weighing less is where we get into trouble because oftentimes weighing less equals less lean body mass because to continue to decrease your weight over time, you have to stop eating even more. So like if you are able to lose weight eating 1800 calories for X amount of time and that puts you in a caloric deficit, then your body will eventually adapt to that. Your metabolism will slow because that naturally happens when you eat less and then you'll have to dial it back to 1500 calories and then to 1200 calories and then to 1000 calories. And sometimes that's not even enough because your resting metabolic rate has just tanked so much and that's where you get in this vicious cycle of never being happy with what you look like if you are eating that little of calories and you are as active as an athlete or active person is so we're talking like an hour plus per day you are going to create detrimental physiological changes within your body to the point where you may have to go inpatient you may have to have IV iron treatments. You may have to stop your sport because it's not clinically safe for you to compete anymore. And we see that a lot in our REDS patients or our low energy availability patients. REDS stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. A lot of times this is this goes undiagnosed in a lot of athletes because we're not really trained to recognize it unless you are constantly looking in that area of the population. Oftentimes it's mistaken for um, low sex hormones, like low testosterone, low estrogen, and people are just put on hormone replacement therapy when actually they're just overtraining and not eating enough. And it almost seems funny for it to boil down to being what I view as that simple, but sometimes it is. And we just need to start feeding you more. <laughs> and if you are are fixated on weighing less or being smaller because someone told you that once, then you are probably going to have low sex hormones, loss of menstruation, stress fractures, potentially an eating disorder, disordered eating tendencies. And so that is why I say please stop saying that statement. And that statement is not true. What we need to say instead 
is that being healthy equals better performance because every athlete is individualized, every body composition is different depending on sport or activity level. In some sports, yes, we do see better performance with more lean athletes, not smaller athletes, leaner athletes. However, we also see poor performance in athletes that are too lean or in general are lean. I don't really want my linebacker to be lean. I need you to be big and bulky and strong and be able to hold off the other team from scoring a touchdown, all right? The third huge performance nutrition myth, and this is a hot take, and I'll, I'll provide some good justification, but just hearing the statement in and of itself is a hot take, and that's that protein is the most important nutrient for muscle development. So let's kind of break that down here for a second. I used my verbiage carefully to be able to debunk that. So I said that protein is the most important nutrient for muscle development. It is not the most important nutrient. It is one of the important nutrients for muscle development. I think that protein gets overhyped way too much. Enough protein is necessary, but oftentimes people are consuming huge amounts, way more than you need. And with the athlete population, that can dip into the carbohydrate amount that you need to perform optimally. So the first nutrient or piece of nutrition that matters in terms of muscle development is total calories. If you're in a severe caloric deficit and you're, let's say you're only eating protein, You are not going to put on muscle because you are not eating in a way to facilitate growth in your muscle mass. You have to be essentially in a caloric surplus or at least eating enough to put on muscle. If you are not eating enough, you can actually lose muscle even if you're meeting your protein requirements. The second thing that matters um, in terms of your picture of putting on muscle is training type and frequency. If you are not eating enough, but eating lots of protein and you're not doing any form of strength training or resistance training, you will not put on muscle. What strength training and resistance training does is it breaks down your muscles and adding in protein afterwards and fuel afterwards rebuilds them bigger. Specifically, we want you to be in a range of 8 to 12 reps to optimally promote muscle growth. So if you were creating your own program, then we would want to see training of all major muscle groups twice a week. So if you have an upper body and a lower body day, you would need to do that twice. So that would be four days. Some people choose to do full body to be more efficient and you'd want to try and work in a rep range of eight to 12, mixing that up over time. Now, if you're doing a standardized um, training program, you're probably going to move through rep ranges of upwards of 25 all the way down to a one rep max. But that 8 to 12 range is in the range of muscular hypertrophy, which is optimal for muscle growth. So it's vital that you strength train to put on muscle. The other piece of nutrition that matters for putting on muscle is carbohydrates. I love talking about carbohydrates when I can. I think that people are scared of carbohydrates and a lot of people truly underestimate the amount of carbs that you need, especially as an active person. Oftentimes, we're talking 300 grams plus. 
of carbohydrates per day. So, and the reason that they matter is because muscle contains stored carbohydrates. It also contains calories. So when we're talking putting on muscle and we need to eat enough, carbs are, are an easy way to do that and a nutritious way to do that. If you have complex carbohydrates, um, if you have fruits, if you have whole grains, and then obviously um, there are some fun foods that are dense in calories and carbohydrates as well, which will give you the excess calories or the amount of calories that you need to promote muscle gain. When we're talking about carbohydrate ranges for athletes um, or active people, if you exercise around an hour a day, you want to try to get in three to five grams of carbohydrates per kilogram of body weight. You can do that in a calculator by putting in your body weight, dividing it by 2.2. That gives you the kilograms that you weigh, and then you can multiply that by three, four, or five, depending on where you're at. Like if you're maybe like closer to 45 minutes, maybe you go to the three grams. If you're working out really hard at... Um, an hour duration, then maybe you go closer to five grams. If you're exercising for over an hour to about three hours, then you'd want to be anywhere from six grams per kilogram to 10 grams per kilogram. And you would use the same calculation that I gave you to figure that out. If you have nowhere or no idea where to start with that, please go see a dietitian, specifically someone that specializes in sports so they can help tailor that to you. However, if you eat three meals a day, two to three snacks, have carbohydrates present, you're probably doing a good job of meeting what you need. If you're someone who is reaping negative benefits from your training and you feel fatigued and you're fainting or you can tell that you feel different compared to what you did, you know, a year ago, then you probably need some help. Um, so what you're doing may not be enough and that's where you would need to seek out someone to help you with that. The other thing that matters on top of protein is nutrient timing. I kind of already talked about this before, but our body can only absorb so much protein within a certain setting. Um, the other thing too is that you need to eat after you break down your muscles. After you've just had a hard workout, do not wait three hours to eat. Have a snack and then a meal or have a meal. If a meal is happening within an hour after your exercise, then go ahead and eat that meal. If you're waiting over an hour until you eat, then throw in a small snack. Chocolate milk is one of my favorite recommendations to give to my ath athletic population for post-workout snack. If you disagree with that because there's sugar in it, um, I will have a one-on-one -on -one debate with you because chocolate milk literally contains the perfect amount of carbs to protein even though they are coming from simple sugars found in milk and added sugar found in milk, your body is absorbing that so quickly and using it to rebuild everything that you just broke down, replenish your muscle glycogen stores. It is not storing it as fat. It also contains a great amount of electrolytes, sodium, potassium. It also contains vitamin D and calcium. All of those things are needed for bone health, for immune function, and so it, ha it really does have a great nutritious profile. Um, depending on your caloric needs, anywhere from 8 ounces to 16 ounces would be a good amount to shoot for. If you're someone trying to put on mass or who's very, very active or has a higher resting metabolic rate, you might go for the 16 ounces. If you're someone who's trying to lose weight 
or change your body composition by altering the amount of calories that you take in on the lower side, um, then you may want to shoot for the eight ounces. All right, let's circle back to protein because protein absolutely does matter. One of the biggest functions of protein is to stimulate muscle protein synthesis after you've broken your muscle down. It's just not the only thing that matters. Um, the amino acid that's specifically responsible for stimulating muscle protein synthesis is leucine. Leucine's mainly found in animal products. And if you're taking in 20 to 30 grams of animal protein, you're probably meeting the amount of leucine that you need. If you're a vegetarian or vegan or you're eating a plant-based meal, you actually might want to take in over 30, maybe 30 to 40 to actually get, um, more of the protein absorbed and and to get more leucine because we do know that that can be a, a lesser quality of protein. That doesn't mean it's not healthy. It just means you might need a little bit more of it to absorb it at the same quantity and efficiency than your animal protein. In terms of total protein intake per day, um, what we recommend for resistance trained athletes or people trying to um, keep their muscle mass up or build muscle is 1.6 to 1.7 grams per kilograms of body weight per day. The calculation I gave you before for carbohydrates is going to be the same calculation that you would use for your protein requirements. The other thing with that too is back on the nutrient timing is to make sure that you're spacing it throughout the day to try and get in about 0.25 grams per kilogram of protein each time you eat. If you are a master's athlete or over the age of 50, you might need 0.4 grams per kilogram each time you eat. Um, so just keep that in mind. It's harder for our bodies to build muscle as we get older, unfortunately. And so you may benefit from some more protein. So to wrap that section off, the revised statement is protein is one of the nutrients of importance alongside others for muscle development. One of my favorite things to do as a dietitian is to debunk stupid things that are out there, um, especially in the healthy population world, the wellness world. So when we, when you hear overcomplicated, complex recommendations, I would encourage you to approach it with curiosity and try and figure out if that is the only way to achieve the thing that you are trying to achieve. And oftentimes it's not. So keep that in mind. If you hear something that sounds sketchy, ask someone that's educated in that realm about it. Do your own research. Of course, looking at credible resources, peer-reviewed journal articles, books published by um, governing bodies or other specialty groups in terms of um, the realm that you're looking into, sports, cardiovascular, diabetes, things like that. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Sporty Dietitian Podcast. I'll see you next time.